With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. I would say at inception, you know, what is your end game for this business? It doesn't have to be, you know, a billion dollar company or or bust. I think there's a lot of options in between. But having that clear path prior to starting a company, I think, is important. So I have Clay Gordon here with me, who is a partner of Stout Street Capital, which is a Denver-based VC firm. And I am pulling him in to answer some questions about the VC space, kind of figure out what are the right questions to ask yourself in discovering if going the VC route is right for you and your startup. Yeah, thank you so much, Clay, for joining. Happy to help. Okay, cool. So if you don't mind, maybe you could just give us like a very quick background on you and your firm. So a little bit of background on me is I was working with startups in in college, really kind of became passionate about the startup community in Colorado here more broadly. I did some, I would say, community building more work on the East Coast for about four years. It's kind of where I got more, I would say, corporate experience and helped. Uh, mostly around fundraising and I would say community development as well. But Stout Street Capital, we started back in 2017. Um, At least in Colorado, there is a growing trend for more and more startups moving to Colorado. I would say there's great tech talent here. There's definitely a need for more capital funding these great entrepreneurs. And so Stout Street Capital wanted to kind of help be another capital provider to the Colorado startup ecosystem. We do have our own strategy that is different. Something I'll preface with this is, you know, this is just our strategy. By no means is it the only way to to take funding. Um, I would seek out other capital providers in the venture capital industry if this is a route for you, uh, just because everyone operates pretty differently. So understanding what is a good fit for one VC might not be a fit for another one. But for our firm, we really look for I would say early stage, mostly software companies that look to, uh, I would say, create or improve on an existing process or create some form of efficiency. We do look to see if this efficiency can be quantified to a larger business. So does it cost or does it save a larger business money or does it increase revenue? Those are pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, we've invested into red oceans where there is more competition. And uh, companies that we historically look for is mostly business-to-business software already in the market with a product looking to raise, I would say, a $1 to $3 million institutional seed round. We do try to be past the friends and family, and then usually there's an angel round. And then uh, if venture capital is the route, then usually there's an institutional VC leading a seed round or a pre-seed round, and then we look to participate at that time. Okay, cool. So when do you think it's a good time for a founder to decide to go ahead and take that step and look for VC funding? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I feel like at the time of inception of a company, I feel like having the end game in mind will give a clear path of the direction forward for a company. 
Um, I think that's pretty important. That's usually one of the quick questions that we ask is, you know, what is your vision for the company? And it, I mean, obviously the vision is going to change and there's going to be a lot of pivots in the journey of any company. Uh, but having the end in mind is helpful to provide clarity of a VC to say, you know, we would invest at this time. If things go well, the company will grow and then exit in a certain amount of time period for a certain amount of value. Those are some pretty clear things that we try to gauge when asking about the vision for the company. But I think it's, I think it's a wonderful thing to start a, you know, a small business and that small business can be a hair salon. The reason I mentioned that is there's one across the street, but a hair salon that employs a couple people, uh, but doesn't necessarily need to grow to be a billion dollar company, but it's still, you know, a wonderful career to have. Um, or if you want to have a more scalable business where it's more about growth than necessarily profitability, where you are, I would say, grinding. I think that's probably a, an accurate an accurate word. Where you do take on outside capital that does have pretty high expectations for you know the investment that they have made, and then ultimately the product is scalable and creating a big need in the marketplace. And you know the flip side is you know the team is the one to execute on this larger vision. So. I would say at inception, you know, what is your end game for this business? Is it your lifestyle for a career? Is it a uh, monetary exit? And in our opinion, there's no problem with making a lot of money and making a lot of your investors money. I mean, ultimately, that's why we're in business, but it's very hard and very few people do it. And I think a lot of people chase that dream and um, it doesn't have to be, you know, a billion dollar company or, or bust. I think there's a lot of options in between, but having that clear path prior to starting a company, I think is important. Right. Yeah. We talk a lot about like setting the intention of like, what's the ideal for your business? Is it small? Is it big? Would you say that people should only seek venture money if they have a mass market fit? I would say, I would say no, it's kind of hard to answer that question because we fund a lot of, I would say more smaller ideas. Uh, and that's not anything to take away from, you know, our founders or our companies, but uh, it's okay to raise a little bit of venture funding from, I would say the right VC, South Street being one of them for a, let's say a $50 million exit, which might sound like a lot on paper, but then when you look at ownership breakdown between everyone and, you know, you include the employees in there, usually there's an incentive to employees with options pool and everything. You know, everyone makes a little bit of money, but it's not, you know, a game changer necessarily. Um, I think it's okay to raise venture capital, but I would say the amount of venture capital firms interested in funding a company that exits for 50 million is pretty small. I think the, the majority is wanting that, you know, really disruptive technology that is um, changing the way that people, you know, act and operate in their day to day and want that billion dollar exit. It's just tough. I feel like there's a couple billion dollar headlines in the news and that's what everyone's chasing, but those are very few far in between, you know, the failures never really get reported. It's really only the winners. So I would, you know, do additional reading and obviously the media is biased with drawing eyeballs, but you know, it, it's okay to take outside capital for a smaller exit, but being very transparent, going back to that like vision of the company and being transparent with your investors, I would say is incredibly important. Okay. So uh, scalability is something you look for. Do you think it's wise to uh, first approach friends and family, first, first try to see if you can raise yourself? And I guess this is another follow-up question to that. Would you ever f fund someone just out of the gates who never took any other fundraising and it was their first startup? What are your thoughts around things? Yeah, like there's, a, there's a lot to unpack there. So just bear yeah. with me if it's, a, if it's a longer answer. I would say for 
from my belief, I do believe there is a process to raise capital and to getting your company to, let's just say, a billion-dollar venture-backed idea, just because that's in the world that we operate in. And I would say usually that's from a lot of sweat equity where you're putting a lot of time in that obviously you're not getting paid for. Um, and then friends and family that are much more willing to bet on you as the individual, more so than you know the product or service that you're providing to the market. And then after that is usually angels. And I would say that's mostly retired high net worth individuals. There is some, I would say, pre-CDC funds that do look for uh, mostly an experienced team looking for their new endeavor. But people that are very active in angel investing or investing in startups more broadly, historically, they've looked more for team than what it is that they're building uh, because they feel more comfortable with uh, someone's ability to execute um, more so than what it is that they're willing to sell. Jockey over the horse, right? Yeah. There's a lot of answers to that. And, you know, we hear about more of like an art versus a science. And, you know, the earlier it is with zero customers, it's more of an art. And then later on, when you get to more revenues where you can look at customer acquisition costs, lifetime value, uh, was your marketing spend versus return, then it becomes more of a science. That's, uh, again, everything's pretty loose. And I would say every VC operates very differently on the jockey versus the horse or, you know, the art versus the science. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of aspects, it would be a balance. But, um, where yeah. do you fall with that? Do you place more emphasis on the founder and their experience or the idea and the market? I would say for Stout Street, we're probably more concerned with the business model. Uh, that doesn't take any away from the team. Obviously, the team is incredibly important as well. Uh, yeah. But we do want to feel comfortable with what it is that they are selling. And uh, historically, we've been pretty willing to bet on first-time founders. Historically, these are a lot of young young adults with you know, five years professional experience. Um, and even if they do have some domain level expertise, you know, they're not necessarily experts or have done it before. Uh, so as well as, as to your earlier question, as far as betting on someone just out of the gates, I would say usually there's an established relationship prior to investing someone just out of the gates, almost like with the product being developed prior to going to market. But I would say Stout Street, again, there's a lot of different VCs and we'd probably be in the minority as far as looking at uh, what are they actually selling prior to an experienced founder. So Okay, that's cool. So if I was a first-time founder, never had started a business, wanted to start a business, and didn't really know anyone in the venture space, what are some tips that you would give me if I ultimately decided I did want to go the fundraising route? Sure. I would say persistence and grit. There's no substitute for that. Mm-hmm. And to your point of never really doing this before and going to the market, my opinion is you're going to get no a lot. And I'm talking about a lot, a lot, just because they want an experience. Say historically, VCs have wanted an experienced team more than anything else. So, you know, if you don't have that, then you're, you know, what are you selling? And it's more of like the product and the idea, which again, Stouts would probably be in the minority of that. I think it's pretty important, you know, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to seek investment in a startup or your startup, you need to hang around those circles and get to know the players. I feel like usually it just kind of takes time to break into certain networks. Uh, but again, persistence and grit, I think everyone would uh, agree those are certain characteristics that are underlying for all successful businesses. But ultimately, you're going to get a lot of no's. But I feel like turning those no's and then like not now's where you keep the door open for potential funding later on. You know, we look at that, and I think a lot of other VCs look at that as well. 
Okay, so persistent and grit. Let's say I'm cold outreaching to a bunch of different VC firms. Is there a certain method that you find works better for cold outreach or do you even, is that a waste of time? Do you not look at cold outreach at all? Yeah, so we look at, uh, we look at all companies that either submitted through our um, online portal. Um, so we do look at those. I think it's pretty important to make sure that you're even checking cold outreach. You know, we kind of have our box and for Stout Street, it's really, I would say, smaller markets in the middle of the country of the U.S. Um, and uh, Canada. And so we get a lot of inbound from you know, Israel or Mexico or India, which just currently aren't a thesis fit. Those are people that, you know, didn't look at the website and the information that we had provided. So it's pretty easy, but we still verify all those. We are looking at ways to better cultivate uh, companies reaching out to investors because there could be a, a company that is a good fit for South Street that we just haven't had a chance to meet. And usually that's from like a different geographic focus. And so if a company is based in Florida, but we're in Colorado, but we do think it's a good thesis fit for Stout Street, wanting to make sure that we just don't disregard because there is no overlying relationships. Um, you know, we're partnering with other firms that help with that. But I would say a, a warm intro goes a long way. And I would say an intro from another venture capital firm goes a long way. But start local. I mean, obviously, you can probably drive to a lot of the startup events here in Colorado. Um, it, it's, it's pretty doable. But it, it, it takes time, kind of going back to that perseverance. It just it takes time to, uh, to go on the market. So, Okay. So starting local, uh, making sure you read the website to see if your company is even a good fit based on past companies that they've invested in. And then in terms of actually reaching out, do you notice that there's a certain formula or like do you see people who's sending Loom videos that you're more likely to open that and engage with that if it's a cold outreach or any any like hard tactical tips that you can give or is it kind of just depends on the business that's sent over to you? Yeah, there's there's a few. We do check the submissions from anyone that submits it just online. Like we do view that and it does kind of check the boxes. Okay. Uh, but it does help if you can kind of standardize, like if you can package your pitch and do something pretty um, simple and just kind of resend that to a bunch of different VCs, you know, in theory that should work. And yes, we do look at that, but we are looking at ways to, again, kind of help with that process to kind of package your pitch um, with all that necessary information in a way that would get over uh, like a cold outreach. And so we're partnering with another Colorado firm, more to come on that, but um and then even, you know, there are other, I would say, venture capital conferences that gives a little bit of credibility for these startups. And so here in Colorado, we have the Unmet Conference to fill an unmet need of raising institutional seed and institutional Series A in the middle of the country. Um, and for our next one, it will be in Colorado. But everyone that um, submits an application, which is free for companies, and it's pretty straightforward, it's pretty easy to, to do one. We look at all those companies as well, but if it participates in a startup conference, usually that gives it a little bit more credibility for investors to to give it more more of their attention and their time. Okay, cool. So luckily, Google is a great resource for people. If they don't live in Colorado, they can just Google startup conferences and look for for those. Is there any, anything in particular when they're searching for conferences that you would recommend? Yeah, I would say, you know, make it a fit, you know, if you're a B2C product company. So if you have a new sweater company, 
know, gravitate more towards investors that do invest in B2C uh, product companies. Yeah. So make sure your company or startup is a fitting uh, for the conference um, or other groups that you're actively networking in. So. Okay. So let's say we've gone through this journey of someone starts out, they know exactly what they want. They have this vision of a billion dollar exit. They, so they know they want to scale. They know they want to take venture money. They've done their homework, gone to a bunch of different conferences, gotten warm intros, and then someone finally gets to the point where they're ready to pitch you. What are some green flags that you look for when you're looking at pitches and what are some red flags? There's a lot to unpack there. So I feel like, um, you know, more to come on this specific one, but as far as green flags, uh, so Stout Street will either lead deals or will set terms and then actively syndicate it for other investors as well, just because we won't fund the uh, entire round that the company is raising for. So if they raise $2 million, we'll do 200000 and then we'll actively look for other investors to fill out that $2 million. Uh, that's very different than San Francisco, where you might have one investor do the entire $2 million. So again, it's going to differ by uh, fund and region as well. Okay. Um, but as far as green lights, I would say if terms are already set with another VC has already priced the company, that's pretty helpful just because the bulk of the diligence is already done and kind of packaged in a way for a co-investor to kind of evaluate, I would say the business, the team, and then the opportunity as far as the price yeah. and ownership and all that kind of stuff. You like you know, to see that value already set. Yeah. Yeah. And you're usually partnering with your lead investor on that. You know, again, there's like a lot to unpack here. And I feel like if you haven't been through the process, it's, it's kind of hard to articulate that. And so I'll, I'll do my best with, with this, but, and then as far as other green flags, you know, is this company venture backable, meaning is the idea scalable to a billion dollar company. And that will differ from VC to VC on what is and what's not. I would say something that's pretty important is like use of funds. So if you raise $2 million, which is very common for seed stage or the, the time that South Street invests, you know, how are you going to spend that money? I would say having a pretty buttoned up deck uh, or investment deck that you can share with investors that kind of articulates your vision. Uh, again, it's going to be very like surface level, but it gives investors a good sense of, you know, what it is that, or the problem that you're addressing, your solution or your product or service you know, what are you going to do with the use of funds? What is the total addressable market or other market dynamics such as competition? And then usually the, the terms of the deal, like what is the price? Um, and then how much are you actively seeking? That's pretty important. And then usually what we look for, uh, we'll call it a, a green flag, but it's something that helps with the process pretty substantially is a data room. And that can go anything from historical financials to projections of future financials, uh, bios on the teams, contracts between employees, customers, any other related contracts, but it gives, I would say, more compliance documents for a company uh, in a way for an investor to kind of read through, because uh, that's kind of our diligence is we actively look for red flags to say, hey, this doesn't look normal or this doesn't look right, but having kind of your compliance docs all buttoned up in a packageable document for, uh, I would say, credible investors, uh, you know, you don't have to share that with anyone and everyone, but you can be a little bit more selective. Uh, but that's usually, you know, the status quo for for VC investors. And is that just as simple as P&Ls and tax documents or? There's a lot. There's, there's a lot. But it's like formation docs, 
any kind of Form D. So if you raise capital before, you have to disclose that to the government and having those available in the data room as well. But the financials, which I think every investor is um, interested in, even though projections, I would say historically don't come true, mm-hmm. but having a good sense of like your vision and having it very clear, I would say gives investors comfort to say, you know, he knows what the future could look like for the business. And there's just more confidence in investing in a company like that. So, Okay, cool. And then what about the red flags? Like, are there any, uh, anything that you look for that immediately is like, I'm not going to invest in this? Yeah. So red flags obviously is going to differ between BC and BC. So we don't really do any B2C product companies. And so if it's B2C product company, or if it's outside of our region, as far as us and Canada, I would say that's a red flag. I would say the terms of the deal are pretty important to South Street as well, just because our target ownership is usually about one to 2% of the company. And so if the company is valued at $50 million, you know, we try to invest in sub $10 million valuations. Um, so we want to make sure the ownership match matches up. And then as far as the team goes, again, we're pretty willing to invest in first time founders or I would say young entrepreneurs or young professionals to begin with. But we do want to see a balanced team. So if we see a lot of salespeople on one team, you know, it's probably not a good fit for us. But if there's a team that's all very different in terms of skill set, I think that's pretty important. Um, Obviously, there's a big push with diversity. I mean, it's something that we look at for sure. And I would say it's becoming more and more important is uh, does does it matter to the company? Do they uh, plan on incorporating it? But I would say prior to all that is, um, is there a complementary skill set as well? Okay. Kind of hard to gauge like culture for a startup, but that is something that we try to gather as well. Okay. So um, if you're a solopreneur, do you think you're going to have a harder time raising capital than if you have a team? I would say, yeah, for sure. In my opinion, historically, we've looked for about two, maybe three co-founders, but I think two is, is good. Again, you want to make sure the ownership for the founders give them enough incentive to really push the company forward. And so we look at dilution for the founders pretty cautiously, but if it's just one person, it's, it's pretty difficult because at least in Stout Street, you know, I have my, for the most part, defined skill set, And so I do lean on my partner who's pretty different in terms of skill set than me as well. But it is nice that I can kind of bounce ideas off of him who comes from a very different background, who looks at companies very differently than I do. And I think it's pretty important. So I would not view having additional co-founders as like taking away your ownership or taking away from anything. Uh, But I would view it as more as like bringing something to the table and an addition to the company. So, but I think it goes back to, you know, is your company or do you believe it's a venture backable company seeking that way? Because I think it's pretty be more straightforward to have like a small business that's looking for, you know, a profit with one person kind of owning the business. We see that quite a bit. And I think that's a really good career choice, but uh, for a venture company, you're probably going to want a couple co-founders that you can lean on uh, just because it gets pretty uh, lonely and hard being an entrepreneur in general. Right. So uh, part of that difficulty I've heard comes with trying to raise capital and, it seems like there's a little bit of a reputation of sometimes VCs kind of baiting and switching and then changing terms. Or uh, Can you talk about that process, both from your side and how you would recommend a founder navigate that their first time? Yeah, 
again, and kind of a lot to unpack there. I would say it's true. I think it's pretty, I would say transparency does not benefit the venture capital world. Obviously, it's very opaque. I think this course is a good example of trying to provide more transparency or at least information into an industry that there's just really not a lot of insights or transparency for. I would say reputation matters quite a bit. I think it's pretty common that if you are going to be participating in the startup ecosystem to be part of startup groups. And I think asking other startups with, that have raised venture capital, you know, who is good to work with and who is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen that be pretty effective. We're just word of mouth from your peers is probably one of your best kind of credibility checks. And then ultimately, going back to the conferences, I think it's important to network outside of your state or your region, just because at least in Colorado, there is just a limited amount of capital providers on the venture capital side. And so having additional contacts outside of Colorado is beneficial. Uh, you know, it's easy said, but again, I think conferences is a, good, is a good way to do that. And there is some new up and coming products that is, again, kind of helping with cold outreach. But I would say the VCs, they should care about their reputation. I would say more and more people do. And part of that is, you know, if it's not a fit saying no early, that way you're not wasting the entrepreneur's time. Uh, and being pretty transparent. So, you know, again, we do everything we can to be as clear and transparent on, on why it's a no. Usually at stage, I would say that's most common. I would say every VC says too early for 99% of companies. Uh, so again, kind of having these no's as, you know, not right now, but when the company matures and grows and gets more revenue and employees, maybe now is a better time for that investment. We try to encourage founders to kind of have that mindset. And I think that's probably easier for experienced founders to understand as opposed to first-time founders that say, you know, they invest in someone else that was pre-revenue. Why not invest in me? Uh, I think it's a different situation. You know, they might have known that founder prior uh, versus me. I'm kind of new on the block. So they want to kind of feel me out prior to feeling comfortable with investing, you know, a substantial amount of money with them. So. Yeah, again, I would say perseverance and grit, but you kind of have to understand, which is mostly through experience. Knowledge definitely helps the process of fundraising, uh, Mm -hmm. but it's more around like comfort than than anything else. And how can founders become more familiar with the process of fundraising outside of talking to people in their network or maybe getting a mentor who's been through it? Do you think there's any good books or resources or go-tos for becoming more familiar with that fundraising process? Yeah, to be honest, I feel like blogs, I feel like a lot of VCs, including Style Street, uh, provide blogs or even their process on their website. So I would say the bulk of it, it can just be found on their website. You know, okay. if you're taking funding from Style Street Capital, I would say go to our website. And if that, again, we have our process, our check size, what we look for, everything on our website. Uh, and then we have our blogs on top of it that would give a better sense of like, you know, what is, what do I think about or what do I think would be beneficial for other people to read on me mm-hmm. or Wall Street uh, in a way to be transparent with founders that are seeking venture capital or uh, venture capital from Stout Street Capital. So, okay. And how involved do you find most VCs are in terms of kind of mentorship or? Because I know nowadays capital is kind of becoming more and more of a commodity where it's easier to find. So it seems like, and maybe I'm not in this industry, so I don't know, but it seems like sometimes just as much as founders are having to pitch VCs, the VCs are having to kind of win over the founders. And what, what should founders be looking for from their respective VCs outside of just capital to assess if it's really a fit or not? 
Yeah, uh, I think it's pretty important for uh, as a startup, I'm going to answer your question in a second, but to, to tee it up for a startup that is seeking funding, obviously the startup is basically pitching the investor on why you should invest, but it should be a two-sided relationship where the startup should ask the investor, uh, like, what is your involvement post-investment? What are your expectations on exit? But having that kind of clear two-sided relationship is a lot more beneficial. Uh, I would say maybe a, a flaw of first-time founders is they just really agree with whatever the VC is in a way to kind of people-please their way towards an investment. I would say that's not necessarily a red flag, but that's something that we look for where an experienced founder can kind of push back on the VC uh, in a way to say, you know, why should I take your funding to your question? Uh, and I think that does show experience um, and savvy, which I think is important, at least raising capital in Colorado where capital is a little bit more scarce. And then to your point on um, what should uh, the involvement be, uh, every VC is different. I would say a lot of VCs historically have raised or have started a business themselves and have exited and now are on the financing side. And so, you know, I would ask your VC, are you a former operator? Do you want to be involved operationally? Usually that's either, can you help me hire the right talent to scale to, you know, uh, execute a little bit better on our larger vision? Can you connect me with other investors, which historically Stout Street's been known for? You know, we're not the operators getting involved, but we are the hyper-connected other VCs that can uh, hopefully get your fun, uh, round funded no matter where you're located or whatever type of your business uh, you're, you started. But I think it's pretty fair to ask. Uh, but then again, kind of uh, asking a VC, what is your involvement post-investment is pretty important because they should be a resource for the company because they are part of the team. But sometimes they do have, you know, different expectations than the company. You know, sometimes founders just, you know, need your money and be left alone. Uh, and I think that's fine as well. But every VC is going to be different on their value add in addition to capital and kind of what they bring to the table. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So just making sure you're on the same page where if you're both looking for the same level of involvement post-capital is a definite must. What about when terms start to change after kind of the due diligence process or what what can founders do to not go crazy during that whole process or not feel like the VCs are just trying to nickel and dime them? Yeah, I think it should be, again, uh, like a two-sided, like both sides need to agree and feel comfortable with the terms. So it's not necessarily about VCs wanting the best price for them or the highest ownership. And it shouldn't be about founders trying to keep as much ownership, even though that's historically where both sides have come to the table at. Mm -hmm. uh, but both sides need to win for that relationship to, to work out. So as far as terms changing post-diligence, I, I don't see it unless something drastic happens. I mean, COVID might be a good example of it. But there shouldn't be anything drastic happens post diligence. But everything should be pretty clear. But we've seen where companies have been too investor friendly or too company founder friendly. And we've seen how those companies can kind of be set up for failure as well. So it's just a balance. And right. both sides should see that. And I think it's, I think usually there is. Okay. So before I pivot into kind of a different topic, um, any last kind of tips that you would tell either first time founders or maybe second time founders who are deciding to raise for the first time, any like last bit of advice that you would give them? 
now I'll probably just reiterate, like I would attend other pitch events in your local region and get to know other founders that operate in a similar space. So if you're in the cybersecurity, if that's what your product provides, then get to know other startups that also have a cybersecurity product and, and then ask them, did you raise venture capital from who, who's easy to work with, who's hard to work with, who says one thing and does another. But I would say your peers can be your best resource. And I would say the VC or the startup world is very collaborative, or at least that's our experience. But I feel like it's an untapped resource as well. And I think maybe just lastly, um, just there is a lot of other players in the market, such as um, fractional CFOs, attorneys, bankers, but people only view them as like bankers or lawyers or whatever. But usually they have a lot of relationships outside of just kind of what they do nine to five. And I feel like people get a little bit more narrow minded to say like, hey, I'm going to talk to South Street Capital because they invest. I'm only going to view them as an investor and not like someone that could help just beyond investment. And so... So widening that scope of your research. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you for those tips. How about what companies are really exciting you right now or what industries or opportunities are you personally most interested in right now? So I'll have one. It's a newer investment for Stout Street. Um, it's called 401Go. A company's based in Utah. They provide 401ks to small businesses, historically more blue collar businesses. So you know, if you're an electrician going to a you know small business and they hire you know four people, and it's a good it's a good business, you know, it's a good life. But you want to provide uh, a little bit more incentive for your employees, also to retain them by providing them a 401k. You know, I'm pretty excited about that. I've done a lot of personal finance education recently, and I feel pretty passionate about say tax free and tax deferred resources that the government provides to anyone, employers, employees to help them achieve their goal of being financially free. And so this is one that makes it a little bit more accessible for small businesses, because even at Stout Street, like we've looked at it and we're a two-person team, you know, it's pretty expensive. There's more of a hurdle than I expected. And this is a way to kind of reduce that hurdle to make it possible. And the benefits, not only from top tax saving, but on, I would say, getting to your financial goals a lot quicker through a 401k specifically, is one reason that I was pretty passionate about the company. Okay. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So personal finance or just fintech, that seems to be... Yeah, yeah. That's one. Yeah. I mean, so we are generalists. So we'll invest in basically any different sector. So I would say we have a lot of different companies that um, do a lot of different things. Uh, that's just one that comes top, top of mind. Okay, cool. Those are the the main questions I have for you. I think um, obviously this is super high level and this is going to take a deeper dive if someone wants to go this direction. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. If people want to follow up with you or reach out, they just go to stoutstreetcapital.com. Yeah, or hit us up on LinkedIn, Twitter. Yeah, try to be everywhere. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Sliced Podcast. If you enjoyed listening, we would love for you to share this little slice of insight with your friends. See you next week.